Listening to the Order 66 podcast, brought to you by Gamer Nation Studios, D20 Radio, and the generous donations of Jared Williams, Kevin Malone, Donald Weller, Sean Kumar, Darren Hampton, Andy Bethel, B. Witzel, and Balaam's Blasters. What is up, Gamer Nation? GM Chris here, and if you're tuning in for the very first time, welcome to the Order 66 podcast, the original podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars role-playing. And I'm joined tonight by a man who needs no introduction, but I will give him one anyway. My co-host, my friend, my confidant, and maybe former lover, though not really, GM Phil. How you doing, Brohim? Hey, man. Anything is possible in the multiverse. That's true. It's very true. It's very true. And you have a really sexy head. Oh, why, thank you. You know, I, I shaved it myself. Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> uh, how are you doing, Gamer Nation? We are happy to be here on an on an odd night, a Monday night. But, uh, well, we had a topic that we just felt was, you know, wanted to get out there. And we had the time, so we've got the dime. We don't need to make excuses for putting out an episode. It doesn't matter when it's being put out. I don't think they care. It's fair. That's fair. It's truly fair. It's truly fair. So how are you, man? You had uh, a lot of activities this weekend. Uh, a fair bit. Um, went to Maine with the significant other, uh, met a bunch of her family, drove around Kennebunkport, saw the Bush compound. Kennebunkport. Yes. And, yeah, that is the proper accent for it, by the way. Um, uh, but no, it was a good time. It was a good time. Um, yeah. Otherwise, it's just trying to get writing done. How about you? Pretty much the same. I'm really excited. My next, uh... Uh, product that I'm going to put on the Foundry, doing a bit of a collab with a few other creators. Um, I'm going to put out an open playtesting call this week. Um, you can just like automatically sign me up for that because, yeah. Yeah, I, I will. I will. I promise. Cool. <laughs> but that's coming. Very, very cool. So, uh, God, I am really excited to get to our topic um, this week, but we do need to get to some announcements. So shall we? Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Hello there. What have we here? Good news. What do we got? Do we got a feature podcast? We do. Uh, And if you're listening to The Order 66 and you're not listening to The Guardians of the Wills podcast... Why? Because you're missing out. The incredible crew at Straggering Dragon not only helmed the show focused on exploring the entirety of the Star Wars Legends expanded universe, but they've also kicked off a recurring actual play campaign with Fantasy Flight Games' Star Wars system. In fact, they've just dropped the fourth installment of A New Fear campaign. So give it a listen. 
This wonderfully produced actual play with amazing players deeply committed to their characters. And you can find that and many more great podcasts at www.d20radio.com. It really is a good show. And if you're not listening, you really need to listen. Um, yeah, I, I, I crack up. I really do enjoy it. But you know, Phil, <clears throat> speaking of d20radio.com, Sir. Uh, you know, d20radio.com is more than just the home of awesome podcasts, which it is. Um, it's also the best gaming blog out there with a cargo hold full of incredible articles and fan-generated content, hotter than a Sunday stroll on Mustafar. This past week, uh, we had the amazing Egg Embry, uh, who treated us to the first in a two-part series on his Gen Con 2019 attendee reflections. Uh, sharing special moments from the show, Egg talks about the highlights from Green Ronin, uh, tabletop gamers, uh, crafty games, and more. And if you couldn't make it to Gen Con this year, uh, it's a great cathartic article, it was for me, <laughs> that will that will make you smile. Um, also, our own editor-in-chief, Wayne Basta, gets his and our love of X-Wing miniatures into full effect with a rogue review of the Hyena Bomber. Diving into all the upgrades and options that make the first dual pilot fighter in X-Wing, a true game changer. Um, very, very cool. And you guys can find all this great content and so much more with brand new articles daily over at d20radio.com. And speaking of our social media, you can stay in the know by following D20 Radio on the Facebooks for news and podcast info on a daily basis, like announcements about shows on Mondays. <laughs> Toss a like to the Order 66 podcast Facebook page and join the D20 Radio group. You can also follow us on Twitter at D20 Radio. We post and tweet show info and announcements regularly. That's what we do. Including funny memes. I've uh, I've really been enjoying the uh, the the despair memes. Um, I don't know mm. about, I don't know about you. No, they're they're solid, man. They're fun. Yeah, they're pretty 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 good. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, you got to go to Order 66 podcast on Facebook to see. It's really yeah, freaking freaking great. Um but um yeah, man. Yeah. Hopefully, Phil, the memes will never die. Uh, hopefully. Hopefully not. Did you see that bold yet somewhat successful attempt at a segue? Uh, y- y- yes, I did. It was as subtle as a bantha running across this desert. I'm all about the subtlety, man. I'm all mm-hmm. about the subtlety. Mm-hmm. Let's get into some meat. All right, what are we going to call this episode? What are we going to call this segment? This this thing? This what 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 are we what are we doing? What are we doing? I believe the Jedi Code put it the best when it was stated: "There is no death; there is the Force." So let's put this in perspective. The Order sixty six podcast has been talking about Star Wars role playing for over eleven years, four hosts, and two systems. But in all that time, almost 300 episodes, there is one thing that we've actually never really talked about, which is strange and unusual in and of itself, as this thing is a core part of most RPGs and leads to the most memorable moments in any gamer's memory, usually becoming the most talked about part of a campaign, whether players and GMs revisit this memory with fondness, sadness, reverence, or rancor. We are talking about the death of a player character. 
character death is something that is a, a strange concept in a lot of ways. Um, <clears throat> and it, it can shake up a game like, like nothing else can. It can be yearned for sometimes or not. It can be integral to the story or a complete curveball. Bottom line, it can happen for varied reasons. But in this system, it's not easy. <laughs> and the GM and the player have a pretty strong level of control over when it happens. But how can you best assert that control? How can you make player death something meaningful? And how do you recover and continue when it happens? We're going to dive into this topic heavily tonight. So make sure your characters strap on their black armbands, Gamer Nation, and have their affairs in order. Because we are talking character death tonight on your Order 66 podcast. So where do we even begin with this crazy topic, man? It's kind of deep. Um, as far as where to start talking about death, it's probably best to start talking about it at the beginning. And by that, I mean at session zero. Um, so let's let's take it back to there. I mean, we're playing Star Wars, although a lot of this, uh, a lot of today's conversation could actually be cross applied to just about any role playing game, especially anything in the narrative dice system. Yeah. But um, as we'll discuss, it's incredibly difficult to die in this system. Um, <laughs> so. Before perforating your players with blaster bolts or lightsaber blades, let's make sure they're all aware of their choices, or make sure they're, make sure they're aware of that their choices could result in the depths of their characters. This is something you establish at session zero, and to be fair, it's something that's good to remind them of that periodically. Yeah. Absolutely. Otherwise, they'll get complacent, and they might forget that, uh, and then they have this perpetual safety men of, nah, nothing I do will actually kill me. I mean, yeah, that, I mean, you, you have to let them know the risks up front, of course, as you said, session zero time. But then, again, remind them often. Um, even, even when it's most critical, if the PCs are about to get their characters into a situation that could have lethal consequences, acknowledge that. And if they're still cool with it, you should be cool with it, too. But you got to get the players buy-in. Yeah, yeah. And... So you get their buy-in. Yeah. You get no they 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 acknowledge that. Um, let's talk about the three ways that PCs can die. Because believe <laughs> it or not, there are three ways. Yes, there are. There are. Uh, what's our first one? Oh, easy one. GM fiat. And how <laughs> is that best described? It's bad. Okay. It's bad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, honestly, the the classic trope for this is rock falls, everyone dies, right? Yeah, it's those scenes where the game master just outright introduces something to just kill them dead. Um, be it rocks fall, everyone dies, or uh, starship weaponry. <laughs> yeah, starship weaponry at personal scale—that'll do it. Yes, yes. I mean, mind you, that's a fair—that is the tactic that most often comes up when anyone talks about you know taking out a bad guy or taking out like something like a crat dragon. It's like, oh, I'll just roll up in my starship and just annihilate it. Yeah, well, the, believe it or not, the GM is, you know, if you do that, the GM is probably well within their rights to do the same thing to you. Absolutely. Um, but that's not always the best thing to do, and it's uh, frankly not often the best thing to do either. Um, of the three we're going to talk about, that's probably the worst one you can do, and the one that will get you the most uh, ire and rancor from your from your players. Absolutely. 
Um, and now there's now the third way to die is is kind of a launching off point to this, but that that one really is is the bad one. As a GM, there's really no reason to ever do it. Um, yeah, there really isn't. You have complete control over over the situation. So unless you're intentionally trying to kill a character, and if you are, and and that character's not into it, which we'll come to, um, that excuse me, if the player's not into it, then what are you doing? Um, yeah. And I know I know we're going to come back around to this when we start talking about you know uh, GM capability, but um, I've heard I've heard you know GMs get tired of certain players, and it's like you know what I'm just going to kill their character. I mean, That's, you could. Yeah, but is that really how you want to handle the situation? No, it's not. It doesn't solve the problem. No. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't want to harp on this GM Fiat way too much because that's a totally different conversation. And, and really what we're here to talk about is, is, you know, meaningful player deaths when you really get down to it, character deaths when you get down to it. So, okay, there's GM, GM Fiat, Phil. That's, that's obviously the first way, the stereotypical way that, that you can always kill a player character. Um, what's our next way? The next one is actually the hardest one to do of the three. Yes, it is. Um, and that's combat. <laughs> <laughs> it, it takes a very specific build in a very specific set of circumstances sometimes to kill your character. I mean, I, there's always folks about saying that, okay, if you hit a certain uh, hit point total or, or wound threshold total, you die. And that's that's it. That's the end of you. Um, but that's actually not raw. No. There's nothing that says that. No, I, I've been running that for years where it's like death is, and I'll set the exploitation with my players. It's like, because they want to, and, and keep in mind, my party's kind of like, okay, what's death? And I'm like, uh, double your wound threshold. Okay? Yeah, that, and that's a fair marker. That is a very it's fair a, marker. It's, it's a very fair marker at that point, but but that is not that's, raw. It is a house rule. It is a house rule. It is a house rule. Um, now, every time you get hit after that, you take another critical injury and if you are able to score a 151 or higher on a critical injury, then your character dies. Yeah. Because um, raw, because that, raw, that's the only way to die. Only way. I mean, I mean, if you're if you're going pure mechanics outside GM, just saying, look, I think you've passed. Okay. If you're going pure mechanics, that's it. 151 or higher. Now, Phil, clarify for the listeners who may not know. When you said getting more hits and more critical injuries, what what are you talking about? So every time your character suffers wound damage uh, after they are unconscious, after they've exceeded their wound threshold, they take another critical hit. Correct. And you, of course, add to that percentile roll every, uh, every critical hit you've taken, minus one. So if you've got three critical hits and you get hit while you're unconscious, you make a critical injury roll at plus 20. So by the time you actually get to the point where you have to risk a negative, you know, a, a result of 151 or higher, your character is pretty effed up in the critical hit range. I mean, you've probably got some really nasty, lengthy, and possibly permanent critical injuries on you. Yeah, it's it's really I mean, hard to do. In my seven years with this system, I have had one result where a a person rolled a 151 or higher on their critical injury roll. That was a very specific attack build with a very specific weapon that had tons of vicious, and he had tons of uh, of, of lethal blows, where he was starting off with a plus 70 result, and he still had to crit the guy three times before he got it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I have never, in, in, in the seven years this system has been out, I have never had a player 
or an NPC die from rolling 151 or higher. It has never happened. The circumstance has yep. never, ever come yep. up. Have I had character deaths? Absolutely. Same? Absolutely. But it's always been the third way. <laughs> always been the third way. Mm-hmm. So the third way. The third way. Is a, com- is a combination of the two. And this is the good way of doing it. Uh, and that's where the player works with the GM and has a resolution. Yep. It's done for the sake of the story. Uh, it could be done because that's that's just the that would just be best for the tale. That'd be best for it all. Um, a character makes a conscious decision to do something that will get them killed. Yes, um, and it 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 can add so much. Um, the the times I've 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 best seen this done. Actually, one of the best role players who I've ever had at my table in in my career of this system or any system um, is, is cat GM cat um, uh, who I know you've met uh, a few times at gamer nation con Phil. Oh yes. Um, and uh, uh, in star Wars games, especially uh, she really gets into the character. Um, she loves to create familial bonds and uh, her GMs, including Brev and myself uh, have taken full advantage of that by making those familial bonds integral parts of the story and uh, key NPCs that have fallen to the dark side or are working for the bad guys or are pawns or whatever. And um, I, I remember one very specific instance where her brother, uh, you know, we, we, we were on a ship. It was exploding. We were rushing to get off. And she's like, no, my brother's still inside. She's like, you guys go. I'm staying behind. And it was one of those things. It was like, okay, uh, this ship's exploding. Like, it's exploding. Uh, there's one life pod left. We're getting in it. And she's like, yeah, I know. Go. And 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 she was there and narrated out and found her brother's body and held him as the ship exploded. And it was it was it was a great moment. And 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 those are those are the good moments that 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 come. Now, Phil, if you're facing a moment where hopefully a GM knows this kind of thing is going to happen ahead of time because the players talk to them about it. But sure. what what tactic should a GM and a player take if such a situation comes up where it's narrative in game and and the GM is completely caught off guard? Uh, I mean, what how how should things proceed from your perspective? I have my own opinion, but I'd like to hear yours. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, have a discussion. Have a discussion. Um. In some cases, it might be best to take a pause, pull the player aside, have a quick conversation, say, hey, um, here's the situation. What are you going to do? Uh, and, and, and you know your players. Let's be fair. You know a lot of your players. Uh, sometimes it's fine to have this conversation at the table in front of everybody else because that can also heighten the, uh, the, the emotion and the impact of the scene. Um, you know, just like you said, I, I mean, how, how did the other players at the table respond to to Kat's choice there? Uh, they were we were stunned. Um, we, we, we were absolutely stunned. Um, and what happened is we took a break um, and it was it was a sidebar conversation saying, like, oh, you really want to do this? And it was she was very much like, yes, absolutely. I, I very much want to do it. Um and so that was what was very important. I, I think I think having a sidebar should be the norm as, yeah. a, as opposed to the exception. Um, mostly also because, and this is just a sad truth as a GM, if a player really is throwing you a curveball like that, the worst thing you can do is then minimize the moment by not giving it enough thought. 
And this is rarely something, if it is a curveball, that you've planned for. So it's not just about a sidebar to, to converse with the player. It's about giving you, the GM, five minutes to collect your thoughts and come up with an appropriate narrative and and explanation and, and kind of, okay, what now? And and really be able to, to not come at this haphazardly and, okay, well, uh, this happens or stumble over your words. Give it. Give it a few minutes of thought so that you can give a character death the gravitas that it frankly deserves. And another point towards that end is the player's mindset. The player might not be in the right mindset and might think, no, yeah, I want my character to die. And and maybe they had a rough day. Maybe they had a rough weekend or something's going on aside from things. And they're kind of already tense and emotional and they might be, 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 be making a snap decision, something that, you know, taking them aside and removing them from the situation, giving folks a minute and saying, hey, listen, are you down with this? Is this something you really want? Or, you know, are you doing this for the story or are, are, are you cool? And maybe in, you know, in retrospect, they're like, you know what? You know, no, I really don't want my character to die, but I feel like this is an important thing and this is a good scene for it. And at that point, have a conversation with them and say, look, do you really want your, are you really want this for the story or would you like some kind of miraculous save, some last minute out, some debilitating side effect? Yeah. And, or, you know, or, or yeah, I mean, whether that means that we fish you out of, uh, out of vacuum and you get cybernetics, whether that means you disappear for a session and you get to play a fun NPC next session and then the party receives word that you're alive and frozen in carbonite and it becomes a, a race to rescue you. I mean, there's all kinds of fun things you can do there. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Now, okay, this also leads to a related but important thing to talk about that we haven't. Sure. Sometimes a player wants their character to die not for story reasons. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> they might be tired of their character. Yeah. They might be bored with their character. They may want their character to retire, but not like fade away and just be kind of like a background NBC. They want their character to exit the campaign in a memorable manner. Yeah, and and this, uh, uh, I'm sure this has happened to you, I'm sure, um, where you've had players that just grow completely tired of their characters. Um, Usually it's in situations where their kind of skill set or focus gets duplicated. For, for me, it's where their skill set or focus has been um, – they, they've made themselves into a one-trick pony. Uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, there's other interesting times. Um, you know, I, I had a player once, Jake, uh, in, in, in one of my long-running games. He moved. He moved to California. He moved hell and gone away. And and it was a it was a face to face game, and we were going into the um, the basically the final act of the second film of the trilogy. Basically, if you want to think about it that way, and sure. he and I had a good conversation about all the stuff that was going to potentially go down. And he was like, "Look, you know, I'm gonna, I, I I may end up sacrificing myself." And I'm like, "I'm like, okay." And honestly, I arranged that moment for him as a part of the story. Damn it, he didn't die. He actually made. All the roles, like insane roles, he needed. Poor guy couldn't kill himself. Um, but couldn't uh, die if he tried. Couldn't die if he tried. 
but you know, after that point, we we had arranged for him to sort of retire in other ways. After after he, he had a, a love interest in the, in the game, an NPC that w- that he ended up rescuing. And after that, it was one of those things. She's like, "You can't keep with this life. I can't lose you." He's like, "I can't lose you either." And so he stepped back from the adventuring life. His character did basically. Um, nice. which was fun. Also, we got to bring him in as a cameo for one session in the third movie, uh, when he was back in town for a brief visit. So there's fun things you can do with stuff like that. If you retire a character. Yeah. Totally. Totally. So ultimately though, it sounds like, and this is the, Phil, I think this is the key point. A good death must be a player choice. Yes. Yes. Always. Give it, give them the option. Give them the the onus. Give them the the gravitas to to make this decision, make this choice. Um, the best stories that come out of games come from the oh, do you remember the time that so and so stood up to to that 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 armored stormtrooper and they just went toe to toe and the arm the, the cyborg stormtrooper was getting the better of him and knocked him back into like a canister of like you know Tabana gas. And he just looked up at the uh, stormtrooper, smiled, and put his gun to the Tabana gas and pulled the trigger, blew both of them up. You know, you get epic awesome. tales like that, man. Yeah, epic a- stuff. Ab- absolutely, absolutely awesome. Um, so those are the three ways players can player characters can die. Right? GM fiat bad, combat maybe bad, maybe good, but really hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, player GM synergy. Good. Even that, go ahead. That's the good one. Yeah, good. Even if it's a good death, mm-hmm. even if character death happens and it's 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 the players into it, the GMs into it, it serves the story. There are still problems with character death that a a player and GM should really think about ahead of time. Yeah. Um, or be prepared always in case it happens. So like, what, what what are some of the things we're talking about here? Some of these, some of these are more problematic than others, uh, and especially in Star Wars. But oddly enough, some of them are easier in Star Wars because, with one also very specific exception, there's no resurrection in this game. No. The 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 only raised dead ability you have around to try it. Otherwise. When you die, you're dead. There's no like, you know. I, I've seen some. I, I I did some research on this, and I talked around, and like a lot of the a lot of the conversations about PC death has to do with like Dungeons and Dragons, where like, oh, what happens? A session grinds to a halt. Does the PCs are like, hey, do we take so and so out to find a cleric and try to get them raised before we keep going? What happens if we're deep into the dungeon or the adventure and enemy territory, and we don't have that? How do we do this? Blah blah blah. But those are things that you do still need to consider. I mean, it could be that, especially in the case where combat kills your character or GM fiat kills your character, the session is is over at that point. It it, it immediately stops practically. Yeah, I mean, you might be able to get it going again, but everything is everything will grind to a complete halt. Period. As as people yeah, are as, as folks, people, yeah, scrambling to get together. There was also an interesting comment in chat. I think is worth noting. We didn't actually mention. When we talk about death by GM Fiat, what if they roll double or triple despairs and that leads to death? That's still GM Fiat. Guess what? It is. You're the GM. You get to decide how despairs are spent. (laughs) 
if you decide to spend those despairs on something happening that kills a character, that is your choice. There's a lot of horrific things I can do with two and three despair. I can crit the hell out of you at like plus 130 or 140. And I feel that that has more of a, a positive impact than just saying, oh, you're dead, you know? It's still your choice. You're oh, taking yeah. that choice for a person to lose their character that, and let's face it, they become attached to them. You become attached to the characters that you love to play. You, you get enamored with them. You, you enjoy their, their, especially if you play with them in any regularity. Um, you, you, you adventure them. They're a part of you. In many cases, they are an aspect of you that you don't get to play often enough. Or a side of yourself that you want to explore. So, in a sense, when a PC dies, a part of the player dies too. Absolutely. Um, and taking that, taking that choice out of their hands in a game where resurrection is not possible is kind of dicky. It really is. It's, it's kind of dicky. And the number one rule for Star Wars... Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. D-B-A-D. Um... So there is that. Now this is this is in-game stuff though that, that can happen when you do this, and it can whether it's a good death or a bad death. As, as Phil said, it can it can really grind the session to a halt. It can also out-of-game stuff. It's, if it's a bad death, it can really piss off your players, um, okay. which we've talked about. But the big thing also that you need to realize, and this is another reason that everything when we say everything grinds to a halt, that may not be a bad thing. No, um, because the other thing that you don't think about is, is we have this conversation. We think about, oh, my God, how is my how is I was the player going to react? How are the other players going to react? You know, our attachment to our character. Let's not forget the GM's attachment to the plot and the game. And there are m maybe not immediate, but unforeseen consequences that are going to happen immediately or in the near future when you have a character death, especially if the GM has been crafting the campaign properly. Because at that point, you got plot shakeup, okay? You could have story threads centering around a PC that the party has no reason to follow anymore. You could have story yep. threads centered around triggered obligation that doesn't matter anymore because the person who had it is dead. You have story threads centered around motivations to a particular PC, and if that character dies, those motivations don't necessarily matter anymore. Familial connections, favors owed. There's there's all this kind of stuff that 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 a good GM weaves each character's connections and motivations and and everything else into the plot threads, and you've literally just cut one of those threads. So yep. what impact is that going to have around the story? I always say whenever you have a, a death, like take a sidebar, take that sidebar as we said before. Again, not just to give yourself time to give it appropriate meaning, but to also give yourself time to think about six steps ahead. Is this going to have any story implications this session? Okay. And if it isn't, great. I've got till next session to figure out how I'm going to modify everything now. Sure. So, another And thought. that can be the test of a, you know, that, that right there can test your storytelling chops and your GM skills. How can you and how well are you able to handle that curveball? Um, some GMs can roll with it right then and there. They're like, okay, then this doesn't matter anymore, and this doesn't matter, but I can turn this into this complication. I can turn that into that plot thread. Awesome. And you can do things in the immediate in the immediate sense that allows me to kind of stave off having to figure out what to do later on down the line. 
and then I could pick that up in between sessions. Absolutely. So, you know, you a, a, a solid GM should be able to salvage their campaign uh, from an unexpected PC death. Yeah. Um, honestly, even an inexperienced GM can just just take a break. <laughs> yeah, get time. Get a break. Get take, a break. Take a break. That wasn't take the time. That wasn't to say that. Oh no, you're not a good GM if you can't do that. No, a good GM will find a way to kind of stave off making those decisions. Whether that's you know they kind of roll with something mid session, or maybe they do bring the game to a halt that session. Say, you know what? I need to figure out the implications of this. We were planning another three-hour game. I'd like to stop down today. Um, let's pause. Let's figure out where we center where we're going to go. Let's play a board game or you know something else, and and we'll do something else for the rest of the time. Um, but I don't want to. I don't want to ruin or make any snap decisions to the story that would be very difficult to un un unmatch yet. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, we've kind of flapped our chins around how death can happen when it should happen why it should happen and yep. what makes it good versus bad let's talk about how to make so 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 when it happens how can a gm make character death work how can they turn it from a incredibly negative event into something positive on multi multi levels and make it a big deal Number one, make it a big deal. You are the hero of your story. You are a hero in a GM's campaign. Your death should have meaning. It should have weight. It should have importance. Um, whether it was expected or you introduce a situation that a PC says, you know what, I'm going to take this way out. Uh, two examples immediately leap to mind. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them was at Gamer Nation Con this past year, GM Chase. He was playing in my Starcana game, and he was playing the, the noble paladin character. And at one point during the game, they are trying to take out this alien bioship. And he was somewhat cut off from the, uh, from the other PCs. There was, like, you know, monsters between him and the rest of them, and he had this, basically, a, a giant series of shaped charges. And he was standing next to the big thing that they wanted to take out, and, said, and he just looked around and said, you know what? I'm going to take this ship down wrapped the shape charges around the thing and just immediately hit the detonator. Uh, I can't remember if it was because the, the, like the remote detonator was broken, but he just wrapped it around, hit it and knew that he, because he was there and he was attracting the attention of the monsters, you know, him being in the tank, he knew that he would likely take out the monsters with him too. And he did. That was gravitas. There was, there was still like a good half hour left in the game, you yeah. know, four hour game. Uh, the other one that comes to mind was an unexpected one. It was one of those rare ones that combat gets you killed. Uh, it was the end of my alternate universe campaign, Order 65. And this kind of Zorro-like character, played by my buddy Alex, um, went up against the campaign villain, who ended up being Darth Maul. And they had fought, they had a lightsaber duel, and it was all good and fun. Um, but Maul was a crit monster. He was a crit machine. And he scored uh, the uh, not the end is nigh, but the, the the other one bleeding out, the one where you are going to die in a round. Yeah, you are you are dead in a round. Um, the only way to, that that could have been saved is if someone ran over and spent their action to like try to cure that crit injury, 
and rolled a, against a daunting injury. Right. As it was, the he, the player Alex Alex was just way out of a uh, uh, out of zone from anybody. He was by himself, uh, so he kind of accepted it. He, he basically described himself as staying impaled on the lightsaber, crawling up it, smiling in Maul's face as he like put everything he could into one final shot into Maul and took him out. And he fell over dead. And this was at the, the, the climax of the campaign. This was, this was the last session. And one of the other PCs ran over and took up his like anti-hero vigilante mantle and like turned on the, uh, uh, and basically shouted, you know, over his body said, he's still alive. He's still alive. Get him. Cause this was all on video. You know, get him to the, get him to the back to tank now, now, now. So that later on, he could put on the mantle and pretend to be the Strat Zorro. and have Batman live on. Zoro lives. <laughs> Zoro lives. <laughs> See, that's that's great. And okay, now this brings up another excellent. Now, now th- in that example, obviously it happened at the end of a campaign, yes. and it was a, a really good way to wrap things up. But, but what do you do when it's midway through? Well, use it to. <coughs> excuse me. Um, thank you. Um, use it to propel the plot. Um, or, or perhaps a new plot. Um, and this is one of those things that, you know, not ideally you're, you're not going to have enough savvy, most people to do this in the middle of a session if it happens, but but that next session, what, what are the ramifications of this death and, and how can that inform your plot, enhance your plot and drive your plot and your players forward? And there's several ways. A lot of it has to do with how the individual died. Okay. If they were actually killed by a big bad okay or as the result of a big bad you now have hopefully a huge party left that is seriously out for vengeance okay yes that that can drive sessions right right in in and of itself that can drive total sessions of work um if that's not the case um you've got other things like family connections debt okay um, so let's say that a big, powerful hut crime lord um, has a marker for the PC who just died, and that PC owes him a pretty powerful or a pretty significant debt. Do you think debt? Do you think death gets the debt erased, or is I mean, nope. is, is that how crime lords work? <laughs> Not unless they kill him, and even sometimes then. Yeah, even sometimes then, it's like it's like yeah, I, I killed him because he wasn't paying, so now his debt is yours, friend. And I mean that's that's really what it is. That debt will often be transferred to uh, whether that's whether that's monetary or whether it's a favor owed. Okay, um, it will often get transferred to his friends and family, his or her friends and family, uh, which is typically the party. Okay, so <laughs> what kind of ramifications is that going to have? Hey, Gasano owed me a favor, and he's dead now. So now you owe me a favor. The hell I do. Your favor died with him. The hell it did. The hell it did. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 pretty much it. Um, that's the way you want to play it, friend. That's the way the bounty hunters will play it too. Yeah, and and honestly, that that concept is uh, <laughs> is a wonderful way to. I mean, it, it's it's a it's a trope we see in so many things, man. From from classic noir uh, to to '80s action adventure films. That 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 trope of of a transfer debt, um, especially among familial or friend lines. Always, it, it's very, very common. Oh yeah. Um, what other ways can uh, can a, a character death propel a plot in in interesting fashion? 
Uh, well, the introduction of a new character. Ah, so okay, let's let's talk about that. Well, just because the player dies, oh, doesn't just because the character dies doesn't mean the player stops showing up. Exactly. So, what happens after death? Let's talk. Let's talk about that. Uh, uh, ostensibly, that player is going to create a new character if they decide to remain playing. Sure. Sure. Um, depending on how far along the campaign has been, is when the character passes away, can really determine, like, okay, how much do you introduce them with new starting XP? The one thing I do love, well, not the one thing, but one thing I do love about the system is that, in, in theory, a, a, even a starting character can knock around with 100, 200, and 300 point characters. If they're built right, if they find a niche then they're okay. But in most often, um, they're, they're, you're going to want to beef them up. Because let's face it, uh, even though Stormtroopers are kind of a threat for everybody, uh, a 200 or 300 point character has a lot more ways to deal with that NPC and deal with the threats that you're putting at them. Uh, a GM is probably going to be putting the PCs up against die rolls that are like, you know, an average of hard or sometimes even daunting which can be hard and daunting for a brand new player. One of the things that I did whenever I had to introduce a new player to a campaign that had been going on for a while is I'll say, okay, build a character and add 50 XP. And at the end of every session, you'll get that session's XP plus another 50 XP. And then you can build your character up from there. And I generally do that and give the person a kind of an accelerated growth spurt where they can like they can still get a sense of growth get used to the powers they've got but they're not so far behind the curve for so long they catch up quick we've said this before on the show and i agree it's one of the things i do really love about the system if i take a starting character or a character with 500 earned xp it is not only probable but likely unless they are a brawny focused combat build that those characters have the exact same wound threshold and strain thresholds Mm, mm. or at least with only a couple points of each other or at least within a couple points that's it so when you talk about something like survivability you're right a beginning character can really mosh it around with a group of of experienced players but again do you want to give them an xp bump probably mostly because you want to give them the, the cool options the others have where i find a huge thing that's often missed that needs to be accounted for even more than xp though if you really want to bring that character on par with the others not in terms of survivability but the amount of ways they can deal with the situation is equipment <laughs> yeah all right Give that player some solid equipment. That'll kind of level the playing field a bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Make sure it's on par with the rest of the party. Because if I decide to make a sniper, but there's another range, you know, and as my replacement character and I come in, and there's another range character in the party, and he's a heavy with a minigun, you know, a, a repeating blaster, I can't hold a candle to that. And as a beginning character, I can't even begin to afford, much less obtain, equipment like that. So you've got to, you got to, you really got to level the playing field there. Um, one of the, one very successful strategy I've seen, depending on when the replacement character enters the campaign and where the other PCs are, Phil, mm-hmm. um, is bringing in a new character who has a ship. Um, <laughs> yes, often, often the party finds themselves in need of transportation. And when they get to that it, it, inappropriate wording, but mid-level play, right? 
where they're they're at the point now where it's like, oh wow, we should really be having a ship at this point. And as a GM, you're like, yeah, I need to rank up to give them a ship. You know, maybe it's Age of Rebellion. They've got enough duty now. Maybe you know, and oh, we're gonna get a ship. Oh, great. Guess what? It has a captain. <laughs> okay. Um, or if 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 if, if, if it's Fad, or if it's if, if Edge of the Empire. Um, you know, it's 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 you know, hey, you guys have arranged for a ship, and it belongs to this person, and. They're a part of the party now. It's a great way to uh, allow for equipment usage to bring a, a character into the fold. Give them something that the PCs need to get this to like work with this new character, mm-hmm. and inevitably the the in game connections will flow and follow. So now, what if you don't do that? What if you don't have such a because that's a really on the nose way to f- enforce that connection? What are other interesting ways, advice we can give to players and GMs out there to incorporate? fairly seamlessly a new character into an existing party when that replacement is made? Uh, you know, go to Lord of the Rings route. Siblings and family. Um, you know, you've got uh, Boromir and uh, Faramir. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Eowyn. You know, you've got those familial connections. Maybe the player brings in a character who is a relative of the one who died. And then the PCs can have that all kind of awkward, you know, role-playing moments of just assuming that, oh, yeah, no, you've got this, you got this, uh, uh, you got this, uh, uh, Rigar. Uh, no, no, you got it wrong. All the stuff that you want me to do, Barif did. I'm Rigar. That's not me. Oh, yeah. oh, man, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, or maybe they're siblings of the existing players, you know? That's have them come in as a family as a family relative of an existing player. Excellent suggestion. They don't have to be related to the dead person. Um, when you need to bring in a brand new player, this doesn't just go for player death and replacement. This goes for like I've got an existing campaign. I'm bringing a new player in. The fastest, most immediate way to get buy-in into the group as to why we're putting up with this new person is family or childhood friend. That's of an of an existing PC. That is the best way to go about doing it. Hands down. Hands down. But, Phil, this is Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Next one kind of ties in <laughs> rather well with last week's discussion. Yeah. Clones! Um, clones! You're a clone! This is especially great if you are a clone trooper and you die and you bring in another clone trooper with a completely different skill set. Um, you know, you just tack on the same accent and roll with it, man, you know? You know, and th- um, this might seem strange. It's like, you know, but it's like, uh, you know, if, if you ever, if you're not a clone trooper, you're just random character B. You you are operating in a universe where we have established a cloning technology exists. B, it's really good. <laughs> yep. Um, and C, with enough money and influence, there is a dedicated group of people that will do it for you with the ability, even potentially, to implant memories. Okay. So, y- as a GM. You can use this, and if if even if it doesn't necessarily make sense for the play, I mean, if, if you got some random mercenary whose who's clone suddenly shows up, that can make for a lot of fun interpersonal party conflict, especially if that person has memories of their former self and thinks they are that individual or is confused. And then even if they don't, it can become a party point. Like, how the heck did Regric get a clone? What what, what what what? How did he even afford that? Where where did? And all of a sudden, you have a whole new plot point and mystery. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Maybe some villain of theirs decided, you know what? I'm going to clone these guys, and who knows what other clones of the PCs are out there? Yeah. The cloning so, tactic also doesn't have to be for a PC. 
it's a wonderful way to shock the heck out of your players by bringing a combative NPC into play. Yep. When you walk yep. into combat and you're facing Rhaegar, it's like, what? He's dead! You know, and it turns out it's his clone, and there's seven of them, and they're all here to kill you. You know, who cloned him? Why? Yep, yeah. So, use that. There's one other option. It's a rather interesting one. It could be a, offer you very unique play. I mean, it, it's going to completely alter the, the player's kind of standpoint. But, again, because this is Star Wars, it's, it's conceivable. Force ghosts. Yeah. Could work. Could work. Um, as a, as a GM, you'll have to figure out a few things. You'll kind of, you know, you're, you're a ghost, so what the hell are you going to do? Um, you become the ultimate sneak machine, I tell you that much right now, but <laughs> how much are you going to be able to affect the world around you? In social encounters, and social situations, you might be able to get along, you know, pretty well, actually. Um, there's no real need, there's no real need to, to, uh, to interact with the physical world. Uh, in a in a physical manner, if you're just talking and being social, coercion might not necessarily work. Although it might because you're a ghost. Depends uh, on whether it depends on whether you have a blue outline or a red outline. Totally does. In totally terms does. of your in terms of your glowiness. Yeah. Um, the other problem being, um, what do you do in combat? How do you how do you participate in combat in a meaningful way? Um, Fortunately, this system is great for stuff like that. If you have something like Inspiring Rhetoric, there's no reason why you can't still do it as a Force Ghost. Um, if you are a Force Ghost and you had any mockadom of, of Force power, maybe some of those powers can still extend back into the physical world. Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of up to you and have a discussion with your GM if that's something that's even possible, something that's even on the table. It could be a lot of fun. And it's one of those things, you know, definitely put limitations on it if you're going to do this idea because it can be an I win button. We know from a canon perspective that Force Ghosts can use the Force. Yoda showed us that in Episode 8. Um, uh, and there's other canon sources as well. If you get into the Legends and Expanded Universe material, it, if, if you're talking about a light side Force Ghost or a dark side Force Ghost, they both exist, there tend to be some specific tropes. Uh, Darksiders who fall into that territory... They're a big, giant ball of hate emotion, and they're almost always tied or bound to a particular place or location or a particular artifact or item, almost always, and they travel with it. Usually in some manner that allows them to try to uh, uh, possess somebody to some manner and some level. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that that's a way that you can limit things radically. For a light side force ghost... These jerks never appear when they're really needed, do they? Only, uh, <laughs> only when people don't realize they're needed. Um, so it's one of those things that if you, you know, if you wanted to bring a, a character back as a light side force ghost, maybe they can only manifest themselves visibly and tangibly in the real world um, once a session. Maybe it requires the expenditure of a destiny point. Um, and For like one encounter, they can manifest. Yeah, they they could they could potentially do that. Um, it would be very limiting. Um, it's a fun concept. I, I like the idea of having a Force-sensitive PC come back as a Force ghost as an NPC. I think that can add a tremendous amount yeah. to to plot and storylines um, where they're there to provide their sage wisdom or advice, um, so to speak. Right on. Yeah. So, anything else to discuss around character death? We've kind of talked about it all. 
Um, we kind of have. Um, it's, I guess the big thing, the, the big point behind it all is make sure you talk to your players, set the expectation, and if you are going to put them into a potentially lethal situation, make sure they're aware of that. Um, like I said, this is a game, and, and this is a game where if you die, you're dead. With the exception of with some of these rare exceptions that we talked about, there's no coming back. So give the player the chance to either not commit a lethal act if they didn't want that in the first place, or make sure that if they are accepting and, and buy into it, make it memorable, make it awesome, make it make it something that they they'll, they'll that will be talked about for years to come. And as a GM, use that death in your story. Use it meaningfully. Give the yeah. player their due. Make it that incredible memory that Phil mentioned. But make it a memory for the entire campaign by how it affects the overall story and the campaign and how you can work that death in to influence the story you're trying to tell. So I'm going to admit that I have not had the chance to have a character die like midway through a campaign. And had to deal with that repercussions. Every time I've had a character die, it was at a climax of a story, uh, usually against the, the primary villain. Oh, it's funny, uh, Chase just hopped into the chat and I told about his story not like five minutes before he logged in uh, about his, uh, his Starkana module at Gamer Nation Con. But, you know, even that was, you know, not, it was at the end. So I, I'd be open and I don't want to say eager, but I'd be I, I I'd relish the chance and a challenge to deal with a character death mid campaign. So what you, what what you need to do is just set up more impossible situations for your players, Phil. I mean, I guess <laughs> I could. Or get some less intelligent <laughs> or creative people at the table. That's really all, another way you can do it. I don't know. <laughs> So this is, a, this is a very good topic. If you guys have topics you would like us to discuss in the meat of our show, uh, we would love to hear it. Uh, and you can contact us. You can email us, gmchris or gmphil at d20radio.com. Uh, and probably the best way to get in touch with us, actually, and uh, to participate in a larger community, as Phil said earlier in the show, is to get on the social medias. Uh, message us on Facebook at the Order 66 Podcast. Um, and also Twitter at d20radio. So there you go. Mm-hmm. So, Phil, it's been a bit, it's been a minute, but we got in a request to talk about something, and we haven't talked about it in a while. So, oh? I, I, think, I, think we should, I think we should go visit an old friend. <gasps> Let me take that back, huh? You'll find what you need. Oh! Black Market. <laughs> what do you know? Welcome to Watto's Black Market, where the skeezy scoundrels of the Outer Rim Territories can procure the weapons and the gear to make a living on the edge of that there empire just a little more tolerable. Um, so, Phil, tonight's uh, trip to Watto's was brought to us by an email, yes? Yes, indeed. And before I get into that, good God, I missed that intro. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway, uh, this comes to us from Carlos Escobar, who asked us that he just got the Gadgets and Gears book. Good choice. And maybe this piece of equipment is somewhere else in the books, but I haven't seen it before. Can you please talk about the M31 Palm Stunner? This seems like a crazy overpowered weapon. Is it really as good as it reads? My party could wreak havoc with a few of these. Thanks, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Well, let dig out my copy of Gadgets and Gear here. D- dig it out. Now you could you could dig into Gadgets and Gear to find this uh, th- this surprising uh, piece of equipment that there's honestly not enough discussion about. Um, you could dig into Gadgets and Gear, page one twenty five. But uh, Carlos, you can also dig into its first printing a few years ago in Endless Vigil, uh, page forty nine, where it actually first appeared. Um, the Merson Model Thirty One Palm Stunner. Um, at first glance, is a pretty wicked tool. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, it's like an encumbrance one handshake buzzer of doom. You know the handshake buzzers you'd get when you were kids? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and how do you describe this thing, man? How does it look, what does it look like? I mean, it looks just like that. I mean, it's like basically got a kind of like a brass knuckly kind of frame that goes along the fingers. And kind of in the palm, you've got this sort of like Iron Man looking thing that just kind of sits there. And it, it's it's kind of big and bulky if you look at it right. Yeah. Uh, it is not subtle at all. No. I no. mean, it's encumbrance one. Yeah. So it's the size of a small blaster or a, a, a dagger when you really get down to it. Um. What's interesting, though, is what it does. Um, per the text, it can be used against an unaware target with an opposed skullduggery check versus resilience, which resilience does not get enough love, so I am so glad for that. Um, Solid. What happens, though, Phil, if the user succeeds on their skullduggery check against resilience? It automatically incapacitates a minion or deals 12 damage to the strain threshold of a rival or nemesis. <laughs> now, it does also mention getting a plus one extra strain damage for each uncancelled success on the, on the opposed stealth check. I'm kind of uh, thinking oh, that might be a typo. It, it is. It's actually been clarified. Um, they, the, the typo first appeared in Endless Vigil, um, and for whatever reason, they reprinted the typo in, in this particular book because they just copied the text straight. Um, but no, uh, Tim Cox actually clarified that several years ago. Um, it is skullduggery. The stealth reference is a typo. Cool. Cool. So, yeah, you know, against a, a, a rival or a nemesis, you can basically blow away most, if not all, of their strain threshold just right out the gate. Okay, it says it deals 12 damage. If you succeed on the check, that's a minimum of one success, so that means a minimum of 13 strain damage. A yep. minimum. A minimum of 13 strain damage. Now, obviously, soak is going to apply because this is damage dealt to the threshold. Okay? Sure. Um, but even then, even then, that that's just, that's a good roll. They're down. That's staggeringly good. That's staggeringly insane. Um, but... There's a key word in there. <laughs> yeah, because th- this keywording is important to note, because if you read, uh, if, if you get into Carlos's email, I mean, look, this is a restricted item, understandably, okay? Sure. It's got a rarity of five, only only five, okay? Yeah. And it yeah. only costs 500 credits. So mm-hmm. is this an OP cannon? Situationally. 
Well, what is that key wording? Why is this? What, what are you referring to? Uh, unaware. You're unaware target. So if you are engaged in combat with somebody, they are aware of you. If you're engaged in combat with anybody, and this is actually in the text as well, where they straight up say, because of the power requirements of the weapon, it cannot be used in combat. Period. This is something that you basically have to latch onto someone and kind of keep there for a while. You know, that's why I see it as being unaware, as you just kind of slap somebody with it, they completely take an off guard. Anybody who's in any kind of combat stance, they're going to get hit with this thing, and they'll just immediately start turning turning it away. Oh yeah, yeah. So, this is this is um, this is an as you said, an incredibly situational tool. Um, and the bottom line is, uh, Carlos, it, it, your players shouldn't be able to wreak a ton of damage with this because if the instant they do this to somebody, if there's if there's multiple enemies around, it's going to get noticed, and at that point, the encounter has begun. So they're only going to get to do it once if they're able to be stealthy enough to be unnoticed and do it against at least one target. Okay. Um, I mean, looking at the description for this thing, I'm basically thinking that you need to place this thing in a place where it's not armored. It might not even be clothed, you know, like skin to skin to emit or contact type thing. That's hard to keep and hard to maintain. Extremely. So this is this is an out of combat tool. It has narrative use. Um, I mean, so I, I don't think it's the insane OP weapon that that uh, Carlos uh, uh, thinks it is and, and, and has written in about. Um, for those reasons, but I mean, it's, it's there to, it's there to serve a function because in, in canon sources, we see scoundrelly smugglery characters sneaking up behind somebody and zatting them into unconsciousness. So how can you represent that in the game in a mechanical way? Um, I, I find this to be a very fun piece of equipment that, um, can seriously, uh, uh, lead to some fun. Uh, we, we did it like in the movie scenarios, but it's not an I win button. Yeah, and although the text doesn't get into recharging, it says due to power requirements, it really can't be used in combat. So, you know, yeah, I, I see it as kind of a, a a one and done thing that you really have to prep and plan for. It is, it is. But are there other? So now that we know what this thing does, are there other cool uses for this flavorful piece of technology? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Uh, you know what? Twelve strain damages. Hmm. One system strain, friend. Ah, yes. Actually, a little more than one system strain, but yes, yes, it would translate it, to one system strain. Yes, it, it. You could probably potentially use this to overload electrical systems, deal a system strain damage to something. You know, absolutely. Um, I mean, I would probably, I would probably have it drain the power of the of the the palm stunner. Oh but, yeah, but you could you could use this to to over. I mean, what I mean, you say starship obviously is where your brain is going and ship ships. But I mean, I would let I would mean overloading a computer system or a terminal. Oh, that's where I'm going too. Oh yeah, uh, a, a a door control or a lock. Um, yep. You know, one time just bamf. You know, and you might you might even say it fries out the item, so the item has to be repaired before it can even be used again. It's not even just an issue of power, but having that that right tool for the right job. If you don't have it, this could be a quick way around. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of applications along those lines. I mean, if you need something like, if you've got like an oil slick and you want to try to light it, yeah, sure, you got a palm stern, I'd allow that. Electrical charge light and something like that, no problem. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's, 
it's got a, it's got that kind of. Uh, I like the use. Of, I like the utilization of it. It's in, it's neat. It's compact. It's it's able to overload systems like that. It's able to you know. Can you imagine this in kind of like an animal handling kind of situation? Mm-hmm. That would be um, oh, fantastic, fantastic use. Or like incapacitating a uh, well, you know. Yeah, arguably, are droids affected by stunning damage? You know, there's that whole question. But I'd probably... By raw, they are, yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, it, there's all kinds of applications for this. You know, um, I, if I were to, if I were to get, if my players had a handle on this, uh, uh, the guy always plays the mechanic in my group, uh, I guarantee you within a session or three would have tinkered with it enough to turn it into a booby trap. Um, probably a, a landmine-style floor plate that they would step on and it would discharge once... Right, um, if you if you really have a strong desire, I love Joshua Loy's in, in live chat saying if you really if you really have a strong desire to play the Joker in Star Wars, this would be a really great. <laughs> completely, completely. When you got Batman, you might as well play Joker. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, Chase has Chase Lamaster has some some great notions. Uh, droid quick charge, uh, uh, defibrillator pocket defibrillator pad. All Either of those work. Excellent suggestions. So yeah, this is something I haven't seen a whole lot of discussion about. It's a really fun piece of tech, um, and I think it, it fills a really interesting niche. So Carlos, uh, thank you for emailing about it. Um, I don't think it's the OP weapon he thinks it is, mostly because it's not a weapon. Yeah, um, and can't be cool. can't be used in combat at all. So let's be let's be very clear about that. Um, but yeah, kind of fun. Thank you, man. Thank you for the question, Carlos. Good question. Speaking of questions, should we get to some messages from the edge? Oh my, do we have questions? We have the questions. He doesn't seem to take a hint, this guy. I was beginning to wonder if you'd got my message. Messages from the edge. Boy, am I glad to hear your voice. I think it would be wise if you took advantage of my knowledge in this instance. Welcome to Messages from the Edge. Um, this is our regular show segment where we take the time to answer your game and rules questions about the system. Phil, how can people get us these questions? Well, the easiest way is to travel and post it up on our Order 66 podcast Facebook page or over on our Discord server. You can also email your questions to us at gmchris at d20radio.com or gmphil at d20radio.com. Finally, if you're brave enough, none of you have been lately, uh, leave us the question via voicemail on the D20 Radio hotline at 262-D20-RADIO. That's 262-320-7234. Mm-hmm. All right, man. So our first question tonight comes from James Cole, um, who had this. It came in via Facebook. He uh, it, was a, it was a PM. He said, has anybody talked about range bands in depth, uh, specifically planetary scale ones, uh, in, in, a, in a maneuver cost context? Why does it take one fewer maneuver at speed five to go from short to close and then close to long than it does to go from short to long? Um, abstract movement shouldn't invite this level of confusion uh, because we responded saying, well, movement's abstract, man. He's, he's like, yeah, but it shouldn't uh, you know, invite this level of confusion. Are there creative ways that GMs can construe pivoting or jostling in certain circumstances to account for this discrepancy? Uh, what about stationary objects? Um, is, is this an error? Is, is, there, is there a reason I'm missing? That's a real good question. Yeah. Um, and let's be fair. The 
vehicle combat rules, especially when it comes to range bans. They went through all kinds of playtesting, and I'm sure that that was something that uh, uh, offered a lot of arguments back and forth as far as how to resolve it, how to mutil how to utilize it, and, and, and things of that nature. I have a feeling that more so than personal scale combat, vehicle scale combat entered the realms of like of tactical ambiguity. Where, to that I mean that they wanted to try to keep it tactical, but they also wanted to keep it narrative, but they also wanted to keep it tactical, but they also wanted to keep it narrative, and it was this horrible cycle of Catch-22. I think that's also the primary reason why, if you look at Genesis, the Genesis vehicle combat system mirrors, uh, mirrors personal-scale combat quite succinctly, you know? They got, it, they got they changed a lot of things to make it all kind of flow together and, and, and match so that they didn't have this level of confusion. Yeah. You know, for, um, for his for his specific question yeah. around how, you know, if, if you if you hit that that speed of five, you can go from short to close with one fewer maneuver, okay? Um, and close to long with one fewer maneuver, but not short to long. All right. And and, and why is that? It's because they're not incremental range bands. When we when we talk about the fact that they're abstract, um, in other words, two shorts don't make a medium. Okay, two exactly. two mediums don't make a long. Okay, um, a medium plus short does not equal long. It's not it's not grid or 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 meters or it, it's intentionally abstract. And so the idea being with that just incremental boosted speed. Yeah. If you're doing a relatively short hop, uh, from close to short. Yeah. You can do that a little bit quicker. Okay. You, you can do that with, with one less maneuver. Um, but not enough, not enough to go from, um, short, uh, uh, uh not enough to go from, from short to long. Okay. Um, but you know, close to, you know, th th that's going to be the same maneuver cost, but close to long, that's a really large distance. So it's going to cost more maneuvers, but just slightly less. Like it's, it, it, it's just, yeah, it, it's not, it's not all created equal. And honestly, man, if you don't like it, because I, I will be, I, I'm sorry, I'll be one of the first to say, I, I think, I think the Starship combat rules are definitely the weakest aspect of this game in terms of the continual. I mean, and Phil, you, you created an entire talent to fix a huge problem in the game that they ended up reworking into a whole new game. <laughs> Um, they did, and then they circled back to Star Wars, and then so they circled back into Star Wars. Um, honestly, I, I already know Star Wars players that are speaking of that that are looking at the Starship combat rules that are in Genesis, um, and they're like, "Yeah, screw all this noise. I'm just using the Genesis combat rules because yeah. the Starship combat rules are much cleaner." Um, so, uh, you know, uh, when, and honestly, when you spend five years play testing a game in the real world, these problems become apparent and genesis is kind of like the 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 version 2.0 of of these core mechanics and they really streamlined a lot of stuff sure. so I, I would recommend taking a look at the genesis rules too they might be a little more suited for your game if this does leave a bad taste in your mouth absolutely absolutely i don't know any other thoughts on that um no i but i do get where it's coming from yeah uh i i guess one thing to look at it is that when you're at long range the difference of it being close or short is fundamentally minuscule and that's why you know um i understand you hate the necessarily the abstractness but kind of think about it this way a vehicle that's traveling at speed five 
whether they're close or short range away from some target at long range, they're they they can close the distance in about the same time. So. Check out Genesis if you have an issue with it uh, and want something a little different. Uh, kind of convert stuff over to that. Keep an eye out on the various forums uh, for someone who's done like conversions of various weapons over to the Genesis uh, you know range system because laser cannons aren't always close to range. There is no close range, but you know. Yeah. So check it out there, and then see if you like it. See if that works better for you. Yeah. Number one recommendation. Yeah. All right. Do we have another so, question? We do. Our next question uh, arrives from Jeremy Camden, who stated, Okay, I have a real abstract question, but I'm a new GM to the system. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm late to the party. From what I read, as a GM, I have the freedom and flexibility to increase or upgrade difficulties as the need arises, just like any other RPG. But what I don't understand is when to do that. I get that an upgrade turns a purple to a red, and that an increase adds another purple. But if I feel like the difficulty needs to increase based on the circumstances, then which should I do, upgrade or increase? And under what circumstances? Why do one over the other? This is a really good question, and it doesn't have any hard and fast guidelines in the system. Nope, Um, nope. It really doesn't. I don't know. I'll give give my thoughts on this, and then Phil, I'd very much like to hear yours. I mean, in in my experience... You need to think about this in one of two ways. If uh, so, for first of all, let's okay, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Before I even get into that, I, I want to back up because there was something specific that Jeremy said when he. I, I, I don't know if he was being uh, hyperbolic or just figurative in his words, but he said, "If I feel a difficulty needs to increase based on the circumstances, which should I do? If it's truly circumstantial, meaning it is the actually meaning that this task." is harder because of the unique circumstances it's in, like that are environmental, like if they're in an asteroid storm or it's raining, you don't do either. You add setback dice. <laughs> okay, that's what setback dice are there for. Okay, but I, I think the heart of his question is, you know, I don't like the core difficulty. This should be harder, okay, um, or, or more dangerous for the party. So what do you do? If you want them to have a harder time succeeding increase the difficulty if you want them to have a greater chance of crazy crap accidentally going wrong upgrade the difficulty yes it will make the check slightly harder but but mathematically speaking not as harder as a full increase of the difficulty okay um that's just in terms of how the raw math works out um you know but i always go to upgrades because if you're not making the consequences more interesting you know, then, then what's the point? But I mean, at, at a fundamental level, that's a very fine line, but that's how I distinguish the two. Sure. I mean, Phil, sure. what about you? What, how do you do this? What are your thoughts on it? Um, I kind of look at it this way. If the task is, if the task and the way you're attempting to try it is something that's more difficult, and I mean, yeah, sure, if it's an environmental thing, then absolutely uh, uh, add setbacks instead. Uh, but maybe like a normal, you know, maybe it was like normally it, the difficulty to climb this wall would be a media uh, an, an average check but because the because the there's something the, the villains uh, kind of pre- were preparing for this and there's now this like slick of oil that's now just pouring down this this uh this side this slideway type of thing um maybe that's just that is actually increasing the difficulty it is now literally more difficult and no amount of like you know talent talents that makes your check remove setback dice is going to have an effect on this um, otherwise, yeah, your your um, assessment is is spot on. 
if that you want the check to be just flat out more difficult to accomplish, like maybe someone's trying to do a climb check, but they want to use coordination instead, and you want it to be like, okay, yeah, you could do that. You know, skill substitution is a good example for this. If like if a PC wants to say, okay, normally this is a survival check, but Phil, can I use my resilience to just power through this? Sure, you can. It'll be more difficult, but you can. At an increase the difficulty. Increase difficulty, yeah. I don't I don't want you to get a despair for that. It's not it's not it's not your your decision to substitute a skill hasn't made this a more creative consequence. No. Sure. It's just gonna be freaking harder. So yeah, In that's fact, a that's a great example as to when you should increase versus upgrade. Yeah, skill substitution. And if you look at a situation and figure out, okay, what's the potential for this to go hilariously wrong? That's always my that's always my measure. Could something go hilariously wrong with this? If so, upgrade. Yeah, yeah, that's the the core buffer. Yeah. yeah. So, Jeremy, I hope that answered your question. Um, and again, if you guys have questions, get them to us. Email, Facebook, D Twenty Radio Hotline. And with that, I think we come to the end of our show. Sounds fair, Gamer Nation. We want you to become a member of the. Gamer Nation community. We want you to like the Order 66 podcast Facebook page and join the D20 Radio Facebook group. Call us. Leave us a liner. Tell us why you never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Email us. Show topics. Questions. Friendly, you know, hellos. We love to get them. Um, And we're definitely looking for some because in about a month, we are going to be welcoming back Tim Cox to talk about the second of the Clone Era books, collapse of the republic yes so we've got threads up on facebook i've got them up on the uh d20 radio forums and over on uh the actual ffg edge of the empire uh forums over there on their site so give us questions you know, we want your questions about collapse of the republic maybe how it ties back in with rise uh, uh, rise of the separatists um clone war stuff send it off to us so it, it's gonna happen on october 20th should be a great time yeah really looking forward to it um, I also have to comment. I got a. Uh, I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna name names because I, of of the situation. They, I don't know if they wish to be uh, named appropriately. Um, but after our last episode, Phil, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, an, an army of one million, uh, where we did yes. talk about clones, we got a wonderful message uh, from a listener who actually wanted to say. Thank you, and I'm actually reading this now. I want to say thank you uh, for how much I appreciate you taking a few minutes during the episode to talk about the possibility of Lady Clones. Um, I've always loved the Clone Troopers and their story, but the only thing that stopped me from ever playing one as a PC, uh, besides the accent, um, is the gender restriction. Um, this person who messaged us is transgender and said, being transgender, playing dude characters tends to open up a floodgate of harassment from others uh, or or more commonly, internal dysphoria, so it's easier just to stick with my own gender. Besides, who doesn't love a badass woman clad in armor? Um, uh, So thank you for taking the time to discuss a few possibilities uh, of how a few sisters might join their brothers in arms on the battlefield, Um, you know, and and for the nod of maybe some clones don't identify as a male, uh, continually cracking up over, what do you identify as? A soldier. (laughs) That was a good one. Um, so thank you, and I'll, uh, I'll keep not listening to the Order 66 podcast. Um, that was a wonderful message to get. Um, yeah, so that, that was that was solid. Thank you that, so that much. That was totally uh, solid. So for that listener, uh, you know who you are. Thank you very much. Um, so we love. I love. I love getting stuff like that. Uh, right. Yeah. It's 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 just fantastic. I I will say. Um, you know we 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 almost 300 episodes, man. <laughs> 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 almost 300 episodes. 
and you get you're like, oh wow, we've been doing this a while, and then you get some random email or a Facebook notification or a tweet out of the blue, like you know, man, you guys really helped my game. Thank you, and it's just like, oh, that's why we do it. That's why we do it, man. You're welcome. We love it. We love it. Absolutely. Uh, so. We're going to keep it going. Um, obviously, as Phil said, uh, we have uh, questions open now. Get to the forums. Uh, get to Facebook um, and post up questions uh, specifically regarding the second in the clone books with our special guest. Um, that will be happening at the end of or mid end of next month. So Yes, indeed. Oh, well, thank you, Gamer Nation. This is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. And this is GM Phil. May the dice be with you. Post show. I got some posty things to talk about. I don't know about you, but I got, I have posty things to talk about. Sure. I can talk about how I've just paid for a two year subscription to Disney plus. <laughs> okay. So, uh, one of our D 20 radio alums, uh, and one of my dear good friends, uh, in, um, the Rotterdam area in the Netherlands, um, Danny Van Eyck, um, whom I, I visit when I go over there and he and his wife have come here and he's a huge gamer and, and podcast fan. Um, yeah, they've had this for a month now. Uh, the Netherlands was chosen to be the test market, the launch, the, the test launch market to iron out the bugs. Uh, what, it, what, what, what's on there? That the Mandalorian, the Mandalorian's not no, on there. No, 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 no. It's, it's just, so right now it's just the legacy stuff, the content that's on there. But, okay. um, but you know, cause, cause the whole point of this is like, you know, they got, they got to test out the interface. They got to, they got to, you know, and, and run through all the kinks in the system for streaming and all that. Um, but he said, he said that they like, like the incident went live. He's like, the apps were everywhere. Like, like, you know, the Roku TV, the Apple TV, all the apps. He said the interface is just beautiful. Awesome. So he said, he said it was very, very, very beautiful, very easy to navigate. Um, they may make changes to it based on the feedback they get though. So I don't know. Um, sure. see how it goes. See yeah. How it goes. Yeah. But I'm, I am stoked for the Mandalorian. I'm, oh. Man. Dude, dude, gargoyles, gargoyles. I loved gargoyles. Gargoyles was the bomb, yo. I'm totally looking forward. To so many villains, so many villains. I've tried to sculpt after Xanatos. Dude, he's such a good villain. And can we talk about the fact that like half the next generation cast did voice work for that series? Oh, absolutely. Like like two thirds of the generation cast. Yeah. Like I think Patrick Stewart was the only one who didn't. Yeah, he was the only. I mean, seriously, because I know. Um, actually, I don't. I don't know if Lavar Burton did, but I know Michael Dorn did. Um, obviously, Xanatos uh, by uh, Jonathan Frakes. Okay. Um, and. and- Demona and uh, Demona was Marina Sirtis. Okay, Gates McFadden was in. Brent Spiner was in. Hi, uh, Puck. Uh, yep, yep. So, uh, dude, yeah, it, it's um, ooh, yeah. I can't wait to watch that again. Um, when they announced it, I actually went to YouTube and watched a couple clips. It it hasn't held up as well 
as it was back in the day, but we can still enjoy it. Um, sure. It's like I had a good buddy a few years ago get me the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon from the 80s uh, box set they came out with, which I loved as a kid, obviously. Okay, and then you watch it, you're like, wow, this really did not hold up well. Mm. Um, okay. So, yeah, there, there, there is there is that. But there's exciting stuff, man. Disney Plus is coming out. Can we talk about the, um, can we talk about Genesis and the Foundry and the Spotlight? Yes. Yes, we can. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Um, they mentioned doing this at some point. I can't remember who talked about it. I don't know if it was you or if I was talking to Sam about this, about the, the Foundry Spotlight, how they're going to start talking about, or maybe it was Keith Campbell, how they're going to start talking about, uh, on a monthly basis, putting a spotlight on a product in the Foundry. And you all, the public, general public, gets to, you know, write in and email in and say who you think should be the, the Foundry Spotlight for the, the, the coming month. They're going to take all of the requests and, 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 and pitches up to the 15th of the month. And then probably, I imagine, a week later, they're going to post the article up and then they said, put out a they call said for the next the, month. At the end of the month, they said they would post it up um, based on that. So to that end, guys... Both Phil and I have content on the Foundry right now. Um, you know, my content is quirky and unsuccessful, but I enjoy it. Uh, Phil's content uh, and the rest of Studio Four Hundred Four is, you know, what? What are you? Are you? Are you, are you guys? You, I know you're at Silver. Have you? Have you hit gold yet? God, no. We got to go through Electrum first. Mm. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you haven't you haven't hit Electrum yet, then? No, uh, no one's hit Electrum. Electrum's two hundred and fifty copies sold. Yeah, Keith. Keith will get it. I, I have a hunch. I have a hunch that Ready Fight's going to get to Electrum eventually. Yeah. I, 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 I have more than a strong hunch. I think he's extremely close. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, but honestly, obviously, we have Starkana um, out there uh, in both the setting and the first adventure module on Foundry. And we have yes. my familiar setting, um, which um, a lot of D20 probably is interested in buying from the Foundry because most of them got the alpha version for pledging to uh, <laughs> the Gamer Nation God Kickstarter last year. Um, but, uh, honestly, if you guys would like to uh, just do, let's just be self-promotional here. If you guys would like to see some of our content, content spotlighted, um, send an email to foundry spotlight at fantasyflightgames.com. Put the product title in the uh, subject heading and just give a one or two sentence thing about why you think it should be spotlighted. Um, that would be awesome for both myself and Phil. So, yes, what? um, yes, what? dude, that's, that's really, really freaking tight. Um, and I've been podcasting like a madman between the returning fair regularity of this show and my other show I'm doing with Huli. Um, I'm on the mic like three nights a week. <laughs> you love it. Uh, my wife doesn't. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh. We just took her back on the show again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It's... um. Yeah, it's 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 good times though. It's fun, man. It's it's super fun. I also have some exciting news that uh, has not been formally announced yet, and she'll probably listen to this later. But that's okay. Um, Gamer Nation Con 007 is coming up, right? Yes, it is. All right, so we're 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 getting the Kickstarter written and approved right now, and awesome. um, uh, with with the, with the hope of launching it next month. Awesome. Um, in, we, we love to provide great swag to our attendees. Oh, God. And uh, did I tell you about this already? Is this news to no. you? Oh. Okay, we got something really cool lined up. 
Um, are you familiar with Silverwing Armory? Right now, open up a web browser and go to Silverwing Armory. That's the British spelling, so A-R-M-O-U-R-Y, okay? Go to silverwingarmory.com. Name is familiar. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. These folks, they're, oh, they're campaign books or they're... Yeah, they're they're, the adversary cards and all that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so those campaign notebooks that they produce, which are utterly amazing and gorgeous, that the Lady V herself, Veronica, who who is the the head of this company, um, up in up in uh, uh, Ontario, um, uh, she's a huge D twenty radioer, um, and and as I've come to know her, a really pretty awesome person. So awesome. Uh, we are proud to announce that uh, Silverwing Armory will be uh, one of our convention sponsors uh, this coming year. Uh, the Lady V will be coming down to Dallas for the convention itself and will be setting up. And as a custom piece of swag available for every attendee, she has designed a custom Gamer Nation Con 007 campaign notebook with unique interior and exterior art um, that will be in every swag bag. Oh, that's baller. Um, it's it's pretty incredible. Uh, I love what she did with it. the 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 front cover, which is basically a wraparound, it it looks like a it looks like a top secret eyes only folder, like straight out of MI six. Oh, dude, a dossier. Yeah, and, and and the interior is wicked awesome. And I don't want to give any more away. You'll you'll see pictures in the Kickstarter, but um, yeah, I, I I'm amazed to be to be working with Silverwing. Um, and uh, it's uh, it's a real honor to have them come down. Um, and so, yeah, dude, really, really looking forward to that. <laughs> oh, cool. Very cool. I also made an executive decision about the interior. Hopefully everyone will like it, but we just kind of, it, it seemed like the best of two worlds. So for the, yeah. cam- for the interior pages of the campaign notebook, they have three options. You can get the paper lined. You can get the paper gridded. Or you can get the paper dotted, bullet journal style. Ooh. Which is kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah. If, you, yeah. if you've ever if you've ever had a bullet I, I bullet journal. If you've ever had a bullet journal and you've used the dots like that, the subtle dots, you there it's it's as seamless as writing on lined on gridded paper. But sure. but you still have the flexibility of a genuine grid when you need one. Neat. So That's cool. yeah, really Everyone should start bullet journaling. It's amazing. Uh, <laughs> everyone, do it now. Everyone, go do it now. Yes, yes, yes. Um, God, what else? Um, I think I talked about this last show, but um, my daughter's asked me to run a D&D game for her. I don't know if you mentioned that last show. You, I know you mentioned... Uh, I, know, the, I, know, I know I mentioned it on The Forge, but... Yeah, I know you... Well, I know in The Forge you mentioned her wanting to play Keyforge. Yeah, she did, but no, she she came to me and and she said she she's like, Daddy, I want to play Dungeons and Dragons because everyone everyone's talking about Dungeons and Dragons at school, and she's nine now, and of course my heart hurt because I was like Star Wars, Genesis, right? But you know, I'm okay with it. It's Dungeons and Dragons, okay? I'll, I'll it, 
it's it's the starting point for so many players. It's this name brand recognition. It's what Matt Mercer's playing on YouTube. Okay, it's the entry level game, man. It it, it, it kind of is. So I will cut her teeth on that. And um, we seriously, we got a posse of four other four nine year olds that are coming over. Um, but just recently, she and I sat down with the player's handbook, and um, oh shit, man. Uh, one of her friends who's going to be in this game had a birthday party recently. Yeah. And so I don't know where my head was, but I was just like, you know what? I'll get that little girl a copy of the player's handbook. Okay. As a birthday gift. And Jay was like, oh, yeah, let's do that. So I go buy it. Do you have any idea how much that costs? It's like a $40, $50 book. It's a it? $50 book. Yeah. It was a yeah. $50 player's hand. I was like, oh my god! And I mean, like, I, I, I'd pay that for, like, a core rulebook for Star Wars, but that's because it's got, like, triple the page count of the player's handbook of D&D. Um, I wanted to say that there's some sales that were out there that had it for, like, 22 or 23, but maybe that was because you had to buy, like, all three of them at the same time. May, uh, maybe. Probably. But anyway, 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 the point is, uh, we sat down with the player's handbook, she and I, and she made her character. What'd you make? Well, okay. So I, I preface this. There are another set of books that Watsi has produced. They've only released two of them so far, and there's like three or four more planned in the line. They're called the Young Adventurers Guides. Have you series? Have you seen this? No. They are little, like like half page notebook size books. Okay, and they don't have stat blocks or math or anything like that in them. It's just the fluff of everything written at a fourth to sixth grade reading level huh yeah so it they, like they have a monster manual they have um i i got her one that was a, basically a player's handbook for the warrior classes they have another one for the magic classes coming out um and it, it's got it's got illustrations that are not terrifying, if that makes sense. Like I show, yeah. I, I show my daughter the Beholder from the Monster Manual in three five, which is one of the one of the creepiest Beholder images that they got out there. And she was just like, ah, and she didn't want to see it. Right, she got terrified. But this one, it's like, it's a little, it's not cartoonish, but it's more, it's softer. It's softer. Okay. Um, and so she blasted through those, so she knew what she wanted to make, like straight away. And and they even have like little flow charts in there, like you know what what race are you, right? You know, and they ask you questions like, would you like this or do you like that? And it takes you down the flow chart. Do you like this or do you like that? And it does the same thing for the classes. And so she made an elf, a wood elf ranger. That is what she sure. wanted. She wanted to use a bow and arrow and she wanted to be a wood elf. Nice. And she proudly tells, yep, yeah, my character's a wood elf. She's 125 years old. Uh <laughs> It was it was great, and then I was like, okay. And then you try to explain stuff like, okay, honey, um, there's this special ability called favored enemy. Like, you know, as a ranger, you know, it's like, you know, what do you what do you do? And she's like, and, and then it has this massive list of all the enemy arc, all the enemy categories, and she's just like, uh, and she she was looking at the monster monster manual, and she goes, uh, what's the what's the current crawler? The what? Carrion crawler. The car yeah. yeah, the current crawler. The carrion crawler. Yeah, what's that? And I'm like, oh, it's uh, a monstrosity. Yeah, those. <laughs> I'm like, they, yeah, okay. are they abominations or are they not? No, they're monstrosities. Okay, all right. Because they're not I mean, a bad choice. 
Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 righteous. I'm trying to. Uh, I, I got a Facebook group with all the other parents. I'm trying to get my first uh, session and session zero done uh, this coming weekend if everyone can wrangle. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, I'm I'm super excited. I've um, I have actually never run a game for kids this young. Um, I mean, I, I, I exposed my kid to some role playing when she was younger with like RPG kids and things like that, but it was like me sure. and her and her mom playing, but an honest to goodness Dungeons and Dragons game, I've never really run it for anyone this young. So, and you know, I know guys like Keith Capel, you know, they run games for kids this young at the library all the time. There's other huge community members that do the same. So it's be an interesting experience. My fellow co-owner Alex, uh, is running a Terranoth game for his two sons and a bunch of their friends. Uh, and they're having a good time too. How old are they? Do so, you know? Uh, nine and seven. Wow, that's great. Yeah, they're 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 and they're rocking it. They're having a fun. They're having seem to be having a fun time. That's fantastic. So, I mean, that's about when I started. You know, uh, I, I, well, maybe not that young. I was, uh, I was, I was, I was, I was ninth I was, grade. Ninth grade is when I started, just because I kind of like didn't have anybody who was kind of into it. I didn't discover it until like eighth grade. Junior um, high. Junior high was my start. Yeah, yeah. Tail end of junior high. Tail end of junior high. So yeah, eighth grade, I guess. And then I didn't start actually running myself until ninth grade. Dude, tell tell me, what was your first role playing experience? I don't think I, I don't think I've ever asked you that. Uh it was uh, a friend of mine at school. Got like three of us together, and we would run on. We would run uh, during like recess, so we'd only get like a half hour a day to play. Um, he didn't have any of the official dice, so he just grabbed a bunch of D6s, and we, like, rolled, like, three or four D6, depending on what we were doing. Um, I was playing a goblin rogue. I was kind of miffed, because, you know, goblin rogues aren't really my, my jam. Uh, I'm definitely much more a heavy-armored type guy. Uh, but, eh, it, it was what it was. I had some fun with it. It was cool. Um, and then that group and kind of some of those friendships just sort of dissolved, but in... Once I got into high school, I got a, I kind of fell in, in step with a, a guy who became my a really good childhood friend. And he, he kind of showed me how to play D&D right. You know, he was, he's a great, um, he's a great guy, uh, good storyteller, solid storyteller. And just a bunch of us crazy, uh, uh, creative folks. We just, you know, had a great time playing. That's awesome. But yeah, D&D, basically Redbox, basically Redbox. So. Dude, how about you? Uh, Boy Scouts. Um, <clears throat> I had just become a Boy Scout, graduated from Weeblos to Boy Scouts. Cool. And I was uh, on my first ever. So this had to have been seventh grade. Um, mm-hmm. I was I was in my uh, my first ever uh, camping trip with a, a a Boy Scout troop, and I was stuck in a white panel van, like for for you know people cargo basically, with like yeah. tw- twelve kids shoved in it on a two hour drive to some campground somewhere. Sure, and I didn't know anyone, and um, I and so I brought a book. Uh, I was re- I was rereading The Hobbit for I don't know how many what, what how many times that would have been right, and I'm like sure. sheep I'm like sheepishly trying to hide it because it was so uncool, you know, and uh, this older kid probably thirteen fourteen, um, he goes hey, what are you reading? And I was like. You have these moments when you're a child, you, you can still remember as an adult crystal clear, you know, and I remember this, it was this, this shame and derision washing over me. And I'm like, there's no locker here, but they're going to find a way to shove me in a locker. And, um, I showed him and he looked at it. He goes, cool. 
And uh, that night, he and five other guys dragged me into this tent and um, uh, taught me uh, how to play second edition Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and uh, I didn't awesome. know, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I rolled up a, a human paladin. Um, his name was Sir Fensible the Brash. Um, Damn. Yeah. I don't know what book I got that from. Um, I, I read a bit as a kid. Uh, but uh, yeah, he died. We played all night and he died that night from a kobold uh, spear thrust to the back. Um, uh, just before the entire party got wiped by a beholder. So yeah, it was awesome. That was awesome. I was hooked. Yeah. Sweet, man. That's awesome, dude. So hopefully I can hook my kid young. I don't know. It's getting on that age, man. And plus, and plus it's hot now and it's hip now. That's, it the, that's the thing. Can you imagine falling in love with this hobby as a kid now versus when we did? Yeah. Right. It's not, it's, it's not like when you've got guys like, um, Joe Mastronamo <laughs> and, and Vin Diesel and Manji, Manji, Yes. But, uh, Mangiello, yeah. Mangiello. Yes, mar- oh. married to uh, Sofia Vergara. Yes, <laughs> yes, uh, Stephen Colbert. Yeah, all these guys are playing D and D now, they, openly. The uh, the 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 entire cast of I love the um, the Daredevil show uh, that was on Netflix until they uh, Disney got wet feet and pulled it. Um, uh, Deborah, what's her name? She was the female lead in the show. Yep, yep. Um, huge D and D fanatic, and she got the entire cast playing. Uh, Right. Like like during production, she would run games, um, uh-huh. and just recently, um, I know uh, one of the one of the key members, uh, cast members of the Expanse, um, discovered it. She got introduced, and she was tweeting. She's like, "Oh my god, yes. how have I never played this before? This is amazing!" And then some people were like, "You know, there's an entire role playing this- game devoted to your show. You know this, right?" <laughs> And it comes full circle. The game that became a book, that became a TV series, that became an actors who an actor who wanted to run a game. <laughs> it's full circle. Full circle. God. So, yeah, man. It's a good time for the hobby. It's a good time. Really good. It's a good time. It's a, it's a, it's a solid time. <laughs> Capitalize. <laughs> Get after it. Oh. All right. Well, I think I'm about to turn into a pumpkin. Sounds fair. And it's late where you are. It is. It is. It's getting there. All right. Well, good night, Gamer Nation. And good luck. And good luck. You've been listening to the Order 66 podcast brought to you by Ethan Kinsey, GM Scott, Jeremy Bensley, Bert Ingley, Joshua Taylor, and William File. This podcast and related websites are not affiliated with Fantasy Flight Games, 20th Century Fox, Walt Disney Corporation, or Lucasfilm Limited, and its content is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. All original content is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast and Gamer Nation LFC. (laughs) 